Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. Hello everyone, it's Shannon, and I am back with you to share another author interview and, of course, to talk about this week's new books. So, today I'm sharing an interview that I did with author Stephanie Ganji toward the end of last year. And she was really interesting to talk to. She had a lot of great advice, just I think about existing in the world. She talked about her path to publishing, kind of what made her wanting, what made her want to become a writer, and how that journey was for her. Um, She had a bit of of a non-traditional path. And sometimes, you know, I like to hear the stories of people who didn't necessarily know that this was their life's work. So I hope you enjoy the interview with Stephanie as we discuss her novel, Carry the Dog, as well as a bunch of other stuff about writing and books and just kind of life in general. And then I will talk to you about some new books. So let's get going. We will, of course, start out with the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am talking with author Stephanie Ganji about her novel, Carry the Dog. And this was released here in the U.S. on November 2nd, so we are a few weeks post-publication at the time of recording. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Shannon. I'm so happy to be here. Can we start with a brief introduction to Carrie the Dog so that listeners can have a bit of an idea what to expect when they read it? Sure. Um, you know, the uh, it's always tricky to kind of try to sum up a book with a lot of plot. So I'm going to do my best to do that without giving some spoilers away. Um, That's fair. Yeah. So it's uh, the story of a woman who is on the brink of 60. She's 59 years old. She lives in New York City and she's had um, and kind of a stop and start life. She's not really found a career path. She doesn't have a family of her own. She lives alone in an apartment in uh, in the city and uh, part of the reason for her feeling stalled in her life is that she was um, the subject of some notorious photographs taken by her mother when she was a little girl. So she and her brothers oh. were the subjects of the photos. 
and they were provocative and also um, maybe crossed a line. But she's not exactly sure if that's true. And now the reason she's on the cusp of this kind of she's at this moment in time where she's really taking stock is because two things have occurred. The Museum of Modern Art, MoMA, has come calling and wants to kind of restore her mother, the photographer's reputation, as like a feminist icon. And at the same time, Hollywood has come calling and wants to do a biopic. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So on one hand, she's wondering if she should maybe both cash in and because she has a very precarious financial um life if she should cash in and leverage what happened to her to her benefit on the other like so many of us she wants it just to go away and she really does not want to confront everything that's happened so i think the novel is about her journey to figure out whether she's going to dig into her mother's archives which have been locked in storage for years or leave it exactly as it is and just move on with her life. That's kind wow. of, uh, that's kind of the, <laughs> I know, wow is right. There's so many more things that go on in the novel, but, um, that's a pretty good, uh, bird's eye view. So can you tell us a little bit about the title? Um, this, the book came up on our podcast. We were looking at the books, um, coming out in November and Carrie the dog was actually, um, one of my, presenters named Kristen it was actually one of her um, most anticipated November releases. Oh, and so we were talking about this and she said, so do you suppose that this person actually like has a small dog that they carry? Like, does it ride around in a sling? Like where does the title come from? And so we were kind of, <laughs> so you know, <funny. laughs> attempting to, to figure this out. So can you tell us something about the title of this of book course. so that we don't have to picture like tiny dogs um, being carried in slings? <laughs> of course. So she does have a tiny dog, but it's a borrowed. She's she's dog sitting an extended dog sitting. And so it's kind of her dog, but not really her dog, although she gets very attached to it. But the title comes from one of the her only the only photograph of her mother's, this famous photographer, notorious photographer, the only photograph, the protagonist, her name is B. the only photograph B owns of her mother's is the, a photograph of a little girl and a little boy in a kind of, it, almost like a Walker Evans photograph from the uh, uh, 30s. And they're in dungarees and barefoot, and they're ca- carrying a big dog, and the little girl is in front and carrying the front half and the little boy is carrying the back half and they're making their way through Times Square in rush hour traffic. And, you know, people just swirling around them and this little boy and this little girl very determined to carry this dog through this crowd. And, you know, kind of a juxtaposition of they almost look like uh, rural kids carrying a dog, but they're in the middle of Times Square. So my protagonist, B, has a special love of this photograph. It's the only one of her mother's she kept because of the trauma of being photographed. And it's the only picture of her mother's that she's not in. So, yeah. So it represents to her 
this little girl with the determination to keep going with this kind of crazy, impossible task and to just keep moving. And it's uh, it does represent some resilience for her. So, you know, when I like when I am in a bookstore and a title grabs my eye. So there's that first moment where I think, oh, what a great title. And then the second thing that happens for me, if it's truly a wonderful reading experience, is that I when I'm finished and I close the book, the title resonates even further. So I love that feeling of thinking, oh, you know, this author really thought how to braid the title through the book. And so that is uh, certainly what I aspired to. <laughs> I think I hit it. I don't know. People seem to like it. That is awesome. I feel like titles are such a subjective thing. Either people love them or they just don't understand them. Yeah. So I love when something has kind of that deeper meaning that, you know, once you read the book, you're like, wow, you know, I understand yes. where this came from. Yes, me too. I love that. Can you? talk a little bit about sort of what inspired you to tell B's story like did she appear to you as a character first that you then formed the story around <clears throat> or did the plot appear first and then B kind of developed after that so that's a really good question and you know I have had it a few times recently in my in the interviews I've been doing for the book and so you know I think my answer is it, it's evolving a little bit. I, the first thing is I, I've always been fascinated by photography. There's a subplot in the novel about B being married to an ex rock and roll icon. And he's older now. Um, he's actually not even ex. He still has a little, a following and a little bit of a career. And she had been married to him twice and divorced twice, but they're still close and they're still friends. So those tw kind of twin um, signposts of rock and roll and photography are cultural markers for boomers. And those two things kind of grew up together, photography and rock and roll. And I grew up at the same time with them. So, I, you know, they've always kind of been informing my reading and thinking and listening and, you know, how I view the world. And I've been so conscious of both of them. So I know I wanted to write about them together. And then I, I read a uh, biography, a couple of biographies, one uh, autobiography of Sally Mann, which was fantastic, and then a biography of Diane Arbus. And I started to really think about the mother as an artist and how much the children owe to a mother who's an artist. You know, I'm a mother and I'm a writer. So I have a little tiny bit of insight into that. And um, it just captivated me that that, uh, you know, drive to create art. And for mid-century women, sometimes that was at the expense of child rearing. And, you know, it's not like that anymore. Thank goodness things are better. And women have a little more uh, agency and freedom to pursue their work. But um, at the time of B's childhood, her mother was very focused on her career and less focused on her children, except as subjects for the photography. So rock and roll, photography and mothering, I think, were the things that drove me to write um, this story. And it was just 
so much fun to kind of, well, it's got some dark elements, but it was really fun to kind of spend some time with this character who ended up being a character who is truly resilient and has suffered trauma and has kind of figured out on her own, not with a lot of therapy, not with a lot of medication. She wasn't born into the culture of that yet. She's a boomer. So a little bit before all that. Um, and thank God we have it. But she sort of has to figure out herself how to compartmentalize what happened to her and live her life. And it actually takes her almost to age 60 to do that. But I think uh, she does it. I mean, I know she does it. <laughs> I think, you know, trauma is such a big part of so many people's lives in a way sometimes yeah. that we as people don't even really want to think about, like how much trauma people suffer. Yeah. And I think there is a generation of people that really, you know, weren't taught to to seek help with trauma. You just kind of, as you said, you know, compartmentalized it and did the best you could. And it's interesting to me the way in which trauma, whether, you know, we've dealt with it with the help of a mental health professional or we deal with it on our own, like the huge impact that it can have on someone's life, even, you know, years and years later. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing that I always I think about, aside from writing this novel, but just in regular everyday life is, you know, there are lots and lots of people around the globe who suffer trauma far worse, certainly than people I know in, you know, in our fortunate United States of America who still have to get up at four in the morning and walk two miles to get on the bus, to go to the market, to sell their wares, to take care of their family. And they don't, they have to figure out how to navigate trauma alongside navigating, you know, kind of the mundane regular life of bill paying and child raising and, you know, getting a meal on the table. And so I kind of wanted to give my character uh, a little, a glimmer of that kind of resilience that she figures it out. She does ultimately figure it out on her own. And um, anyway, that was kind of like, um, I don't know, it, the, the idea of resilience to me, especially resilient women, because I know a lot of re- very resilient women, uh, is just really resonant. There are so many fantastic books out now you know, that have been coming out, I would say, for the past, I don't know, decade or so, that talk about the kind of quiet resilience of so many women, like things that we don't really even think about. Yes. But all of these things that go into making these women who they are and the ways in which women, you know, kind of do just like stay strong and carry on as best they can. And I think that is one of the nicest trends in fiction, it's often really hard to read because these are difficult stories sometimes, but I love seeing women able to kind of come into their own and feel powerful, even if it's not in like a you know conventional kind of superhero way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a really, really good point. And it actually speaks perfectly to one of the subplots is alongside this confrontation of what happened to her as a child 
worrying about what's in this archive of her mother's. Is there worse? Is there more? She doesn't know. She's also 59 years old and she is um, grappling with aging and as so many of us are and, you know, figuring out how to deal with less visibility in the world, less sexual power, uh, no money, you know, all of the things that are signifiers are things that she only, uh, she doesn't really have a, a strong hold on. So one of the subplots of the book, I think, and certainly one that is resonating with so many readers is the way she figures out how to compensate or e- even override is a better word override the sense of invisibility out in the world now that she's older by concentrating on her visibility to herself so she makes a commitment to do better every day and you know learn and grow and stay open and not make assumptions you know so she her decision is that the External visibility is not as important to her as making sure she is very, very clear about who she is because she's 60 and there's less time going forward than there is behind her. And she wants to do better. And so uh, that is, you know, I think that speaks to your point. It, it's a subplot that I mean, I've gotten emails from strangers saying, thank you. I, I feel seen. I feel heard. I feel, you know, more alive knowing that it's about me and how I feel about myself. So it's been very, very gratifying. As a person who navigates the world every day with a visible disability, it is really interesting the way a characteristic of yourself, be it your age, your gender, your ability or lack thereof, can determine how visible you're going to be to the people around you. Um, I think people make those assumptions and form these ideas that basically say, you know, if someone doesn't look and act and live the way I do, like that's a person that's just sort of like beyond, beyond your notice. And I I see this, um, you know, less right now because of the pandemic and at least here in Michigan, um, the, the pandemic doesn't, seem to be going away which means I'm like hiding in my house yeah Um, yeah yeah. yes yes (laughs) yes I I deal with it a little bit less these days but it is definitely you know that sense of only being seen in a certain way or not being seen at all is I think a really real and raw issue for so many people for so many different reasons I uh, I absolutely agree and even even if you are like my protagonist, actually consciously trying to confront that in your own self and in your own life, which she does try to do, there's so much, um, you know, that's unconscious and subconscious because of the way we've been culturally indoctrinated about looks and age and blindness and, you know, my daughter has a disability, like, There's so much that we've just been, you know, sort of we don't even realize the kind of I don't know. It feels to me like brainwashing, but (laughs) that might be a little strong. Um, But the cultural indoctrination of how we're supposed to look and be and and it's just 
definitely something I wanted to take on. It's a big topic. I think I, I maybe scratched the surface of it. Well, I think with a topic that is so big and so pervasive and touches, you know, pretty much anyone I can think of, at least in yeah. some way, I don't think there's a way to really do much beyond scratching the surface in a single book. Like if you, you know, if you tried to go super deep, you'd have so many things that you're trying to explore, like in, yeah, in one story. And I, I can't. Yeah. Exactly. I can't quite imagine how that would work. It's too much to take on, like, the, um, one of the aspects of the book, you know, the, the book kind of looks at photography, um, and how it freezes a moment in time and also freezes the subject if there's a person in the photograph and implies something that might not be true, right? Because the photographer makes a choice of framing and what to show or what not to show. And, you know, the fact of the matter is there's moments before the photograph and there's moments after the photograph. And those moments are dynamic and there are, you know, humans involved and with all their complexities. But that's not necessarily what you see in a photograph. So there are certainly in the book implications of where we are today with Instagram and, you know, video and all of the imagery that just assaults us really on a daily basis. And so I could, to your point, I couldn't really tackle some of, I could only scratch the surface of that too, you know, that it's a massive change in the way um, imagery works and we're all photographers now. <laughs> that's that's kind well, of social media, you know, is huge for Whoa. so many people. And I think about a story like the one that you're telling. And I think about a character like B who kind of grew up in a time when social media, you know, wasn't a thing. Yeah. And now it's very much a thing. Yeah. And what would her life have been? What would her life be like if those photographs had gone viral, you know, in the way that they they could now? Like now, when something is on social media, like you have no control over it. It's just like all over the world faster than you can even like process that. And I, it has made a huge shift in the way people view themselves and each other. And I think it's just an interesting thing to contemplate the way it has both bettered and perhaps worsened certain aspects of our lives. Yeah, I completely concur. I mean, she she talks a little bit about social media. And, you know, one of the things she's considering when she's thinking, should I open up this can of worms, which is really what it is, to, you know, kind of expose, and I mean that both as a pun because of exposure, but but also, you know, a laying bare of more photographs or the photographs again, when she's considering that, she thinks to herself, well, with social media now, is it all really such a big deal? Because everything washes away in a news cycle, you know, so maybe I should just do it and let the chips fall where they may and, and endure, you know, a couple of weeks of this exposure, quote unquote, and, and, and profit off it. And then of course, there's another part of her that has for so long 
resisted that, that she has to figure out whether she can handle it. And, you know, there's plenty of us, me included, who have things stored away that, you know, maybe I'm not ready to look at yet. Sure. Yeah. So that's kind of the central dilemma of the novel. And I'm not going to, of course, I'm not going to say how it's resolved, but, you know, there's a lot of humor in it because she is very self-aware and has a self-deprecating streak. And that's one of her coping mechanisms. And she actually has like a brief encounter with a shrink. And he says, when you stop entertaining me, maybe we can make some progress because she's ah, yes, yeah, she's funny and snappy and, you know, really doesn't want to dig too deep, frankly. And um, so there's the light and the dark. I tried to balance that both in my discussion of how she was coerced into these photographs as a child how she confronts aging. I mean, in all senses, she is trying to survive. And part of that survival is her sense of humor. And um, so it's a book about light and dark. And sometimes in our lives, I know in my life, for sure, the light and the dark are practically hour to hour. Some in some phases, you know, like sometimes it's light for a long time and then there's a dark phase, but sometimes it's both. And so I really was trying to capture that almost as a um, writing construct where, you know, the movement of the scenes is light and dark. So, uh, you know, I think readers have been really responding to it. The reviews have been, I mean, I'm kind of stunned. And (laughs) I mean, I wrote this like literary fiction thing and it's turning out to be much more mainstream and and accessible. And um, it's it's just really and things are going really good with the book. And I'm just so happy about it. Now, this is your first novel, is it not? Second. So I wrote my first novel called The Next, and it debuted when I was uh, 60 years old. And so this one is out now and I'll be 60. uh, I'm 65. So, you know, I started very late and boy, am I glad I did. I had a corporate job for many years and, you know, all of the jobs I've ever had have been kind of adjacent to writing communications, strategy, marketing, but not full on. And then in my 50s, late 50s, much like me, I um, kind of took a breath and decided to course really appraise where I was at, take some stock and decide how I wanted to spend the next chapter of my life. And so I committed fully to um, writing and then in the intervening years, um, which I haven't been many. I started writing the the first book in 2015. Um, I have written two novels. I'm working on a third and a dozen essays and short stories and poetry. And again, you know, just for listeners, this all happened in my late 50s. So the beauty of writing is it's never too late. And we all have a voice. And it's just a matter of setting it free, I think. I love that. I think for so many of us, you know, we have this idea that as we as we get older, that like maybe we've sort of missed the mark. Maybe we haven't done the things that we wanted to do or should have done. 
And I love that sort of message that, you know, when it comes to certain things, it really isn't about your age or the, you know, the time that it took. I think it's more about, are you actually able to do it now? Yeah. And it's the doing. I mean, I know that sounds almost cliche, but it's the doing of it that is, um, that makes you feel good about yourself, that you at least freaking attempted <laughs> to do what you always secretly wanted to do. Now, if I had always secretly wanted to be a brain surgeon, I probably would not have been able to achieve that at age 58. But Probably uh, not. Probably not. It's a big, that's a big uh, chunk of time <laughs> that would take. Um, but uh, writing is not like that. And, you know, there are, of course, other creative endeavors and other other business endeavors that probably uh, you can still access if you have the um, determination, like the little girl in the photograph of Carrie the dog. She's just going to keep going and, you know, barefoot and heavy dog and uh, brother who's lagging behind. She's going to keep moving. And. I, I feel that way personally. And, and, you know, I'm, I feel, I think my girl, I have daughters and I think they're adults and I think they're proud of me for course correcting is the way I'll put it. Um, and kind of grabbing onto what I had always wanted to do. And, you know, I put it in, I put it away because I had, um, marriage and we needed more income and I had children and, you know, the whole life that, sort of distracts you from um, maybe things that, you, you know, are your kind of heart's desire that you maybe don't admit. And so I admitted it L- better late than never. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so now I'm working on novel number three and, you know, it's, it's wonderful. It really is. So it is now time for my very, very favorite question to Uh-oh. ask authors because Authors always have like the best answers to this. It's okay. It's not hard. (laughs) So what have you read recently that you want the world to know about? Oh, I love this question. Um, So I just last night closed a book called The Mysteries. The author's name is Marissa Silver, and it was nearly a perfect novel. It's one of those books where... I was jealous of, you know, I was, it was so, so beautifully done and so restrained. It's the story of two families who kind of get enmeshed and caught up uh, because of a certain tragedy that happens. And it's just a beautiful book. So that I would absolutely uh, say is the most recent, and again, just last night. And, you know, sometimes when I finish a book like that, I'm, I don't really want to start anything for a while because I really am just still in this kind of dreamy state of loving her writing, just masterful control. The other thing I read this summer that I absolutely adored was Hamnet by um, Maggie O'Farrell. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Fabulous. It's kind of the story of Shakespeare's wife. Um, and just a beautiful, beautiful historical fiction, gorgeous, gorgeous book. Um, and anything else major? Oh, well, I'm always a fan of Caroline Levitt. She had, a, she, I read her book, uh, I think it's called With You, Without You, maybe? I'm oh, yes. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was in paperback. 
just last summer. So I finally got to that and I loved it. Uh, she's such a good writer. Um, I mean, I think I'll stick with those three for the moment. They're really high on my list. Um, I'm a big fan of Shirley Hazard. So she's, of course, not writing anymore. She would um, be writing from the great beyond. But she is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful writer. And um, I don't know. I'm always reading something. But today I'm going to take a break and catch up on all the TV I haven't been watching. I sometimes wish that I could be more of a TV person. I have like zero patience for TV. People are always like, oh, I'm watching, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. You enjoy that. Well, I want to thank you so incredibly much for taking time out of your schedule so close to your release day to chat with me about yourself and your novel and sort of some of the, the themes that run through it. I really, really appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate your thoughtful questions. It was really a delight to talk to you. Can you let listeners know the best place to find you online before you dash off? Absolutely. So my website is sganji. So one word, my first initial and my last name, sganji.com is really the quickest way to get to me. And there's also plenty of places there to buy the book, links to indies, and also the uh, Big Bad Amazon. Um, <laughs> so it's it's pretty easy. The book is everywhere. It's been reviewed in People Magazine and Good Morning America and uh, L.A. Times and Chicago Book Review. And I think there's a Times review coming. So it's probably pretty easy to find. Um, and I just thank listeners uh, for giving me the opportunity to talk about it today. Awesome. So again, we are talking about Carry the Dog by Stephanie Ganji, which was released in the U.S. on November 2nd. All right. So we're going to talk about new books because it's Tuesday and that's what we do on Tuesdays. So I'm going to start out, as always, with a few things that you've heard us talk about before on our most anticipated releases of February episode. Stacy is looking forward to With Love from London by Sarah Geo. I am so excited for the world to read Cherish Farah by Bethany C. Morrow. I read an early copy of this and it is bone chilling in all the best ways. And Brooke is looking forward to the latest from KF Breen. This is A Kingdom of Ruin, Deliciously Dark Fairy Tales, book three by KF Breen. And now, how about some stuff that we haven't talked about before? I'm going to get us started with some romances. First up, it's called It Went Viral by Stacey Stone. This is a contemporary romance about a woman who finds out that her new job will put her in very close contact with the man who made her college years miserable. This is It Went Viral by Stacey Stone. Next up, we have The Ark, and this is a book that I am super excited for. This is by Tori Henwood Hone, and this is about a secret matchmaking service. So 
I can't tell if it's an app or if it's something that people use in person, but apparently it goes very deep and asks you all kinds of questions that's kind of unlike what you find in the normal, like, you know, dating of today, Tinder, Match.com. And our heroine has kind of given up on love until she comes across the arc. So this is The Ark by Tori Henwood Hohn. Then we have a text for you. This is by Sophie Kramer. And essentially, it tells us that texting the phone of your dead spouse could be the worst thing you've done, or it could be the best. This is Text for You by Sophie Kramer. And how about some historical fiction? There's some great historical stuff coming out this week. The Great Mrs. Elias by Barbara Chase Rabot. This is a fictionalized account of the life of Hannah Elias, and she is best known as one of the richest black women in history. So this is The Great Mrs. Elias by Barbara Chase Rabot. And we have the latest book by Heather Webb. This is Last Ship Home. Now, Heather Webb writes on her own, and she also co-writes with Hazel Gaynor. Whatever she does, it is amazing. This is a story of immigration. It takes place in 1902 and follows the paths of some people entering the United States from Ellis Island. This is Last Ship Home by Heather Webb. Then we have The Last Grand Duchess by Bryn Turnbull. Um, Turnbull wrote a book called The Woman Before Wallace a couple of years ago, and this is her second novel. And this shows us the end of Imperial Russia through the eyes of Grand Duchess Olga, who is the eldest daughter of Tsar Nicholas. So this is The Last Grand Duchess, and it's by... Bryn Turnbull. Now we have some YA. Because YA is amazing. And I'm always so happy when we have a bunch of it here. So Mirror Girls by Kelly McWilliams. She wrote a book called Agnes at the End of the World a couple of years ago, and this one looks very, very different. It is about twin sisters who were separated at birth, and neither of them know about the other. Now they're 16, and it's time for them to reunite. So this is Mirror Girls by Kelly McWilliams. We then have No Filter, and Other Lies by Crystal J. Maldonado. This is a book that looks like it's about catfishing. And I don't like catfishing in, really, in real life, right? Like, I don't like scams. I don't like all those, like, fake dating things that we see online. But I've always wanted a book that would, like, help me get into the mind of someone who catfishes. And this one might be it. It is No Filters and Other Lies by Crystal J. Maldonado. 
Then we have Golden Boys by Phil Stamper. Um, this one, if you're tired of winter, this might be a great book for you because it is a summer friendship story. And the characters are four queer boys who are kind of, you know, doing the normal coming of age things, realizing their dreams, figuring out who they are. So this is Golden Boys and it's by Phil Stamper. Then we have Ophelia, After All, and this is by Raquel Marie. This is a YA debut, and it takes place right at the end of our heroine's like, time in high school. So she's just graduating. She's experiencing some friendship drama, because isn't that like what we all do when we're teenagers? Um, and she discovers her own queerness. So this is Ophelia, After All, by Raquel Marie. Then we have Cold by Mariko Tamaki. And this one, like I read the first line of the synopsis and it totally caught my attention. So we have a boy and a murder and a girl with a secret. What else do you need to know? Not much, right? This is Cold by Mariko Tamaki. All right, how about some mysteries? Just a couple of these today. So first up, we have kind of a futuristic mystery, kind of urban fantasy it's categorized as. I kind of think of them as futuristic police procedurals. This is Abandoned in Death. In Death, number 54, by J.D. Robb. This is, of course, an Eve Dallas book. If you haven't read those, you can go way back to the beginning, um, which is Naked in Death. And that one was written way back in 1995. This series has stood up surprisingly well for having been started such a long time ago. Um, J.D. Robb is a pseudonym for Nora Roberts, and of course, she is amazing. So this is Abandoned in Death, and it's in death number 54 by J.D. Robb. Then we have Secrets of Our House by Rhea Frey, and this is a domestic drama that's set against the backdrop of the wilderness. I have read a couple of phrase uh, books and have really, really liked them. I think her voice is very distinctive. Her twists are surprising, but in a way that feels natural. Like you don't feel like she's reaching, reaching, reaching to come up with some kind of shocking plot twist. I really like wilderness stories. So this is one that I will definitely be checking out. It is Secrets of Our House by Rhea Frey. And I'm going to end things today with a new book by Lynn Liao Butler. This is Red Thread of Fate. This is about a family tragedy that teaches our heroine exactly how fragile yet important the bonds of family can be. So this is Red Thread of Fate by Lynn Liao Butler. And that is all I have for you today. I hope that you are reading lots of good things, that your 2022 is going along just as you wanted it to. 
I hope everyone is staying safe and warm, and I will be back with you next week to talk about new books. <laughs>